Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Network. This is the Inclusion Crusade with me, Sarah Morgan. I am on a mission to create workplaces where employees of all diversity dimensions feel safe, seen, and supported. And I'm doing that with you one episode at a time. So today in this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with community educator, sociologist, criminologist, educator, researcher, the founder and CEO of 365 Diversity, Dr. Kimia Nuru-Dennis. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Kimia is my longtime friend for 20 plus years. We are Soros in Delta Sigma Theta Sorority in Incorporated, throw the mids up, and we are full of jokes and gags. So this episode, in addition to being very educational, is about to be fun. If y'all can see the video of her right now doing crazy dances to try to break me off um, and giggle during my intro. That's how this is about to happen. So uh, Dr. Kimia, Dr. Dude Guy, what is good? Say hello to the Inclusion Crusade listeners and tell us, what is your crusade? What is the thing that Dr. Kimia Nuru-Dennis is doing in the world one at a time to make a difference? Thank you so much, dude guy, for having me on here. We have known each other forever and we have developed and grown together. So I just always appreciate your support in my work. Forever, ever. Yeah, forever, ever. And so when we're talking about the crusade, for me, it was it's something you and I've talked about many times, learning myself and not adjusting myself for everyone else. Mm. And um, so this is where I have to, to do a reference to some old school hip hop here. Hey. You know, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. I'm on a mission, I'm on a mission. You better just listen. So folks know that. I had to do it. But the but the I'm on a mission, you better just listen is an important quote. And for people who know hip-hop, Rob Bass became invested in teaching newer generations of hip-hop how to own their own property. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, originally the record labels were owning everything. And mm-hmm. so that's what he and um, Easy Rock started doing. But that's an important message, though, because my mission is to, to help our people. And to explain that whether it's whatever word people are using on any given day to address equity and justice, it's not pretending that all these changes happen in our lifetime. Yeah. I always explain to people that the changes that you implement to help people, the moment you take a nap, there's people trying to reverse those changes. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have to lay the foundation, build off the foundations of hundreds of thousands of years of our people around the world, the foundations of five centuries of our people on the Western hemisphere, mostly because of enslavement. And we leave the groundwork for future generations of our people. And that's always what I highlight in this work that I do, whether I'm changing school curriculum for schools that actually wanna change beyond doing these meaningless trainings, 
when I'm training medical and health professionals, when I'm getting rid of police departments, all this stuff, I never pretend it's all going to change in 50 years. Mm. Like that's as long so, as humans, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And because I think that we, I think, and we're going to talk about, about um, social media a lot um, in this mm-hmm. episode. But I think that social media has placed going viral as being more important than having legacy. And that's what you're talking about is, is legacy. Um, And it's so important. There's a line in Hamilton, because you know, I'm a Hamill nerd. Hey, Uh, why you gotta look at me like that though? Um, I'm I'm judging. It's all right. You could judge me, but there's a, you know, what is a, there's a line in it. It says, what is a legacy is planting seeds in the garden. You never get to see, like, there's so many things that we do in this work for equity and justice that we will never see the impact of. And so many things that our ancestors, our parents, um, out and their parents and their parents' parents did to, make the world better for us today to give us more opportunity that they never got to experience and we're doing those same things now for our own children children's children children's children's children so I think and I think that's an important thing to remember because right now we're in a society where everything is all about right now is all about let me get my shine right now let me go viral and blow up off of it. Um, And a lot of times what comes with that is hate and scrutiny and, and threats and all of those other things, which our ancestors saw too. And so that's one of the things that we are gonna talk about today because Inclusion Crusade all through Black History Month is going to be talking to Black women who have experienced viral online incidents and faced serious backlash, um, threats against their families, loss of jobs, loss of income, threats against themselves, stalking, um, things like that, that, you know, to let you, but are still doing the work, right? Like that didn't let that intimidate them. And you are one such person that, um, that I know and that I love and that I'm glad continues to be safe and continues to be committed to doing that work so mm, before we you. you're welcome I'm a bad well, I'm, I'm a bad negro most even most black people uh blame me it's my fault if I had said it different or not said it at all then this terrorism would stop so we'll talk about that we'll talk about that but before we get into that tell the listening audience just about you and about your career journey and the work that you're doing today well, let me tell you something about me. The in a little tent in Richmond, VA. Second capital confederacy, born and raised. Family from mostly South Carolina. My brothers and I, three brothers, were products of predominantly Black Richmond Public School. RPS. RPS. People who want to see more of my background, they can go to 365 Diversity website. So my background was based, is based in knowledge, 
which is why my brothers and I all were given Swahili names, first and middle names. And of course, for the Black folks who don't know because we were stolen, Swahili is mostly on Eastern Africa Mm -hmm. continent. We were mostly stolen from the Western African continent and know most Black people here are not descendants of indigenous people mm-hmm. on Western hemisphere. Most of us are here because of transatlantic slavery. Uh, Black pride, Pan-Africanism does not require um, ignoring the role of enslavement on our lives. Okay, so with that said, I always focus most of my time on teaching, reaching, loving, and helping our people, Black people, mm-hmm. locally, nationally, and around the world, because that's my focus, and that's the focus that I was raised in. My parents, who are both Black sociologists, taught my brothers and me to challenge the curriculum in schools because it's still the case that, and I'm going to say it, and people feel in some type of way, they better direct their feelings to the decision makers. Every, 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 every school around the world is controlled by white people. Mm. That's white publishers mostly white authors, Mm -hmm. mostly white writers for the journals, the editorials, newspapers, Mm -hmm. popular news stations, including on continents and nations that there are no white people there physically, the white people control the agencies and the media outlets and the profit. Mm -hmm. So Therefore, despite hundreds of thousands of years of African, indigenous, Aboriginal, Asian, medicines, sciences, histories, arts, literatures, people learn about white people. That includes K through 12, colleges, universities, medical degree programs, PhDs, Mm -hmm. psych Ds. It includes 99% of teachers who are teaching So when you challenge teachers, they get angry because they want to only blame superintendents and school decision makers. And then the school school decision makers and superintendents want to blame the politicians. So especially for Black people, they want us to pretend that nobody is to blame. So that's how my background shapes what I do, because my parents, like, you have to hold these people accountable. Mm -hmm. You're Black schools, but you're mostly Black teachers, Black principals, Black counselors, they are subscribing to what white people are telling them to do in the second capital confederacy. So as black children, we come from this school mostly learning prologue of Canterbury Tales. There's no mm. reason why I'm almost a 45 year old black woman and I still know Randall Apple with the shoulder yeah. the drought has marched has pierced it to the rooter and bathed every vingler's sweet liqueur of which virtue and doing it is the floor. As small as fool as Mac and Melodea, as switching on the next with open air. Why the hell do I know that? Why do you know that? Because like, you Mr. said that you said that with conviction too. Yes, just... because Mr. Ellis, who we love, he's a white man, older white man, and he decided to put it into rap because we're a bunch of black children mostly. Of course, he put it we into always, rap. Of course, we want to learn things through rap. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I specialize in music. There's nothing wrong with putting it in music, but I don't, I don't want white people doing that for us. I want black folks doing that for us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because music is part of knowledge as well for hundreds and thousands of years. True. But he taught that to us. When we were children, we were middle school. It sounded fun. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you listen to it, it's, it gives you like a whole bust of rhymes feel. Like you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, they yep. laid it down. That was a cipher. But that's an example of how a lot of teachers, they think they're doing something profound because in his mind, he was being culturally conscious because this was yeah. in the 80s before the internet existed like it does now. Mm-hmm. So, so long story short, again, my parents just raised us in a household where we should not fall for the hoodwink bamboozlement of convincing Black people to just be excited about everything like we have to just be thankful because if it wasn't for this we'd still be on the plantation just like they tell us to you know appreciate Abraham Lincoln pretend that he cared about black people mm-hmm. so we were in a household where when we were not in school of course you know I master video games but first and foremost my parents made us watch the news yep. we had to watch BT news back when they actually had news we had to watch Tony Brown's journal. I love Tony Brown. I talk about him all the time. You mm-hmm. go to Tony Brown's journal website and order his old episodes from PBS. I was about we to say, have, y'all watched a ton of PBS yes, and a yes. ton of public radio, like AM yes. radio. Like, yeah. and again, I'm telling y'all, like I, I've known Dr. Dennis for 25 years. And so I've spent time with her family. And I, I know her parents. You're doing the math. I'm telling you. It's been longer. It's been long. It's 26 creeping up on 27. If you want to be like super duper precise about it. But <laughs> Laura Robbins. Laura Robbins. <laughs> shout out to Laura Robbins. C1. Um, but her this is her family like we would go on road trips and listen to am radio on the I'm road sorry. because we had to get we had to get that news like before we could listen to r&b we had to make sure that 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 our news was was fed when we when you walk into the house they watching pbs like Ooh. like oh, i'm mean, so sorry it's oh, not, but- you know we're not watching cable ratchetness we going to get this good until later, <laughs> until later. right we could do that later but we're going to get this good news in first and we're going to have these conversations first which i always really appreciated it never like it never bothered me but I, but yes mm-hmm. that's absolutely like it's not an exaggeration at all so i will say though the balance was profound because you know i come from a video game family so you know, Altered Beast, Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. Street Fighters, and also yeah. I come from a family of young to be raps, Rap yeah. City. That's why we know about the cipher and, and, and everything. So this is just one thing I always explain to Black people. My background is why I'm the way I am now. Uh, of course, you know, my dad was an editor and a writer for a Pan-African journal. And uh, I think the first piece that I have access to, I think was published in 1977 that I have Mm -hmm. that he wrote. And so Black folk, we've been brainwashed to pretend that just because we can't find things in libraries, bookstores, and schools in most of the world, that it doesn't exist. And that's what white people and anti-Black, non-Black people want, Mm -hmm. Black people would think. So this is, um, so I just want to give a shout out to the Black bookstores and the Black libraries that are intentionally going out to find hard copies and electric versions of our works, because there's no damn reason why I'm a member of these pro-Black and Pan-African groups, and they want to talk about Lenin, Karl Marx, 
and all these other people as if we don't have well, our own contemporaries in those areas yeah Africans were doing this work thousands of years before these Europeans started screaming about uprisings we are thousands of years before that mm-hmm. we've been doing this work before all of that and unfortunately we also oppressed each other before colonialism started before Christian True. missionaries started before slavery so this is the full span of the work that I was taught to do because it's not in our curriculum. And my parents were like, we want you to know the ups and downs of our people. We don't want you to pretend our people are like holier than now because fighting oppression does not mean pretending that we're hovering over clouds above it all. Mm-hmm. You know, all humans have imperfections since the creation of humans. So the only way to improve is to not pretend perfection is gonna be the result of dismantling oppression because that's mm-hmm. also what white liberals and white progressives in them do. They pretend that the only way for Black people to be liberated is if now we don't make any mistake. And not making any mistake means complying with white liberal, white progressive Mm version. So that was like an hour-long response to your question. (laughs) Yes. So one of the things that I did not hear you say is that you do any work in the realm of HR. Yet here we are on a podcast on the HR Happy Hour Network talking about workplace that talks about workplace inclusion. We're not just talking about workplace inclusion, but the that's the theme of the show. And so what do you think of HR's involvement in workplace diversity, inclusion, equity, justice, belonging, Elemental P, because the acronym just keeps extending, extending, extending. I see, I see you, I see your face. I see y'all brace yourselves because it's about to get ugly up in here. Go ahead. What what it what is what I'll go make me lose my mind. Um so RIP D of it. I know. So I don't use those acronyms for myself, like anything that has of color, all that DEI, DNI stuff. And I always tell people to be careful when using these because it's a quick and easy catchphrase acronyms Mm -hmm. that actually fit in line with HR. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this as a former full-time academician who's now part-time, someone who works in nonprofit and my own business. HR is not there for the employees. They, um, we're not there for you. They're there for <laughs> the employee. <laughs> CMB, we all we got. Oh, they yeah. are, HR is there for the employer, which is why the attorneys, if the employer has attorneys, all schools have them, for example. That's a whole HR thing. So that's why I always tell people, and I didn't really understand this when I was still full-time faculty in North Carolina, because most of us, we didn't have the time and the resources to learn about retirement. 401k, salary, all that. So we went based on what the payroll department, HR told us, all that paperwork, right? Mm -hmm. And then one of my colleagues, who's a Black woman, was like, her husband did all her financial stuff. Her husband did all this. And it made sense because HR is the same problem as relying on any department and office in an employer, they're going to assume you don't know better. So they're going to tell you whatever. Mm. And that rhymes by accident. But they assume you don't have any quality assurance outside of the employer. 
So when places hire me, I always tell them, I'm not really going to train HR because y'all not the decision makers, because y'all not going to lose your job by challenging the key decision makers. You're going to mm. just comply with what they tell you to do. The work I do is really to give employees resources. Yeah. And of course, most employers don't want the employees to have resources. Yeah. Because that's, that's the difference between capitalism and wealth. Yeah. You can, you can have an income, you can build wealth. Capitalism requires exploitation of labor. Yeah. So that's why every employer that doesn't want their employees to have access to materials, which includes people who are different speakers of different languages, different disabilities, they don't want you to understand it because they don't want you to have factual information. Yeah. So when people say how do I feel about HR, HR presents itself as helping the employees, but it's really not. They can be polite, mm-hmm. but they know at the end of the day that if you're getting terminated, if the school is uh, school or any employer is reducing your salary, it goes through HR first. So they can have all this paperwork about you behind your back. They can see you in the lunchroom and be like, hey, how you doing? No, I'm good and dang on well. They did just finish processing your materials. That's mm-hmm. about to reduce your retirement. How are you going to smile at me over the biscuits and you just process my retirement? Oh, no, not the biscuits. Not the biscuits. <laughs> the biscuits, I'm putting, <laughs> putting some, you know, good old honey on it, some butter. And you telling me, hey, no, I'm going to well, you're reducing, you're helping the employer reduce my pay. So that's how I feel about HR. They're yeah. polite, but no matter how much you train them, even if they do equity trainings, they don't care about equity. I mean, I think I, I don't wholly disagree with you. Um, I accepted a long time ago that my role in HR was to protect people because it protected the company. So that still puts me, that still makes me an agent of the company. That still makes me part of, of the structure and part of the man. And I didn't like that a lot of times. And there was a lot of dissonance that I had to fight through um, because of just the types of decisions that you're talking about. I can remember times when I had to terminate people's employment and I really did not feel good about it, particularly when I was working in um, temporary labor, high volume labor, and even some times in like essential service types of positions, you know, retail and um, quick service, fast food, so forth, because we treat people like they're so disposable and um, we treat them to your point, like they don't have outside resources, like they don't, like they aren't worthy of knowledge, like the questions that they ask are burdensome and troublesome and beyond their pay grade when it comes to things like their actual compensation and the way that they're taxed and the way that their retirement benefits or health benefits or any other thing, you know, actually works like the audacity of you to um, want to understand the inner workings of this thing. I told you it's a benefit, just go benefit. Um, 
yeah, so I have experienced that and experienced the, uh, like I said, the dissonance that comes with being a person with intersecting marginalized identities who understands what oppression feels and looks like and then to be you know in this position where now I am part of the system that's going to actively oppress other people and make trying to make peace with that and for me I think that's why um because you know we talking I think you know that's what led me down the lane to starting my blog to getting into work within the DEI spectrum and ultimately now leaving corporate work and doing exclusively consulting and training and those sorts of things in order to help be more on the side of eradicating the problem rather than perpetuating it because I couldn't separate um, the two anymore. I think the more that you become aware of its existence, the more that you just realize I can't be, I can't be part of this matrix anymore. And you just, the matrix. And you just want to figure out, you made me watch that movie, by the way. I I never liked the movies, but. I know, I don't know why, but you, we, I forget where we were. I want to say somewhere in Peaberg. Um, And you, and I was like, what is this? And you were like, sit down, watch it. Um, And and so we did. You made me watch that movie. And now I've watched I'm now I've watched them all, including the new one. And I have an appreciation for them, but, but I won't necessarily call myself a fan. So there. Yeah. So this is and so this is also where again you gotta quote Wu Tang clan, you best protect your neck. You best protect your neck. Mm-hmm. This is also why a lot of HR people and career development people disassociate themselves from me so, because yeah. they like me when they think that I'm a waste of time and I call it wasting time for a reason. They think I'm a waste of time doing trainings for all these people when I know that a lot that most of these trainings are just signing off a to-do list. They're mm-hmm. not changing policies. They're not changing practices. They're not doing annual assessments and evaluations. So a lot of HR people and career-based services people, they disassociate because they think I'm messing up their career. This is not about protecting their career. This is about helping the people at risk protecting their neck. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's a huge difference in terms of the resources that are needed by the people who are most at risk, mm-hmm. people who have the most questions and the people working for HR are not legally allowed to say but so much. Like it might be a really good question, but the people will be told it's on page 25 of that, of that two daggone long employee handbook. And, and so one thing I do is I help employers change their handbooks, like mm-hmm. change the manual. They oftentimes will say, well, you know, what should we change? I says, well, first of all, just ask yourself, have you really read this whole thing? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times they're passing it out to, to new employees. They themselves haven't read it. Mm-hmm. And, and the handbooks have existed before they got there. 
some of them been at 20 years and they like, but this was the groundwork. We just changed the wording. You changed the wording. But the same way people tell you things about changing maternity and paternity leave, there's other things to be changed. Mm -hmm. Also, that's the part of the assessment. And so that's why HR is very difficult because HR, as you know, HR has a lot of conferences, a lot of professional organizations. They do a lot of trainings. But I always ask, like, what's what's the result? Like, what y'all expect to do? Mm -hmm. What do y'all expect to change? Or do you just want to be comforted and told you're a good person who means well and you can't change how things turn out? I think the challenge with uh, with HR in a lot of ways is that we feel as though we do not have power. And so we f- we spend so much time fighting for power, that that authority and that influence that we need to get those in power to see things the way that we see things and want to do things the way that we believe is best but in order to achieve power to get that proverbial seat at the table we compromise ourselves by perpetuating the exact things that are already being done to show that we're you know just like them and one of the gang. And when you're not willing to do that, then then you never get power and eventually you, your career stagnates or you get chased out, um, which I've lived through, you know, on multiple occasions. So I feel like um, there's, there's always been a lot of conversation about why DEI can't sit in human resources, why the work of, of equity and justice cannot sit within human resources within organizations and I think there is there are very few um, human resources professionals who are capable of being able to do both because we are still very bought in very committed to the traditional power structure that we don't have the dare I say revolutionary mindset that it takes to change the things that need to change in order for the organization to move forward to being less capitalist in its pursuits. Because I don't, you know, capitalism is a is a monster, right? And there are lots, it's going to take significant amount of time for us as a society to move away from it probably nothing that we'll see in our lifetime for sure but you can as an organization make choices to be more responsible to be less capitalistic you and I were just talking in pre-show about buying glasses you know and the fact that you were super intentional about buying glasses that had in, that were environmentally sustainable. Whereas I just wanted the ones that were fancy and cute. And now I'm like, shoot, now I've done damage to the environment. I got to donate to something, right? And that's a really simple like microcosm of what organizations can do in their own capitalistic 
realms. They can take a look at the practices that are perpetuating harm and figure out how do I remove that harm, slow that harm, or, you know, temper that harm, or I can't stop the harm over here. So let me go work over there to try to eradicate some of that, which for most organizations, they're just not willing to do because they feel like it goes against their self-interest and they're not creative, innovative enough to pivot and think that they can behave responsibly and stay in business. But you and I both know that it is possible and that there are lots of businesses out there that are both profitable and and responsible, that the two do not have to be at odds with each other. Definitely. And this is where we got to say HRIC, human resources in charge. Mm -hmm. Because so when I do this work, I also, I'm not going to tell everyone everything that I do because you you can't get too much free information. You got to actually hire me. But one of the things that I do is when groups say they don't have the power, I tell them actually write down what you do. Mm. Write down how what you do actually implements the outcome because mm-hmm. that's a role of power, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. teachers say they don't have power. Even police officers sometimes say they don't have power. And that's a real mm. scary claim, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Nurses, mm. nurses say they don't have power, despite them being the ones to mess up the medication that they put in your cup that can kill you, right? Mm-hmm. They say they don't have power. In other words, the people who directly impact us, who aren't in the higher ranking of the triangle at the top, are the ones who are more likely to say they don't have power, as though they're not the one entrenched and intertwined Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in oppressing the people Mm -hmm. ceos Mm -hmm. are not the ones who actually write up the policies Mm -hmm. right true not in most organizations that is true yeah so i tell people whenever we talk about changing anything if one distraction is pretending that we now got to get to the top person we got to get to the top just like when we talk about you know, local and national elections. We got to go challenge the president of the United States of America. Actually, actually, that's why January 6th happened last year. They thought mm-hmm. they was going to go up in the building, right? Um, what really needs to be involved is what's in front of your face that you can impact. Mm-hmm. Because if you keep pretending that you're going to get to the person at the top who mysteriously acts like some robot that you'll never see, mm-hmm. then you're never going to change anything. So this is always where I tell human resources in charge, HRIC. If you claim you don't have power, then now I'm wondering, are you only a receptionist in the sense of taking phone calls? Mm-hmm. Are you processing paperwork? You know, I, I used to work for financial aid for two universities and I had some power, even though I was a, a graduate student, there was some role in what I do that could actually harm somebody's financial aid application. Yeah. We also had to help the IRS find people who were not paying financial aid. Mm. We had to find them. That was also weird, you know? Yeah. So this is why I always explain to people, you do have some say, so you do have some power and we don't need a training or a book club or a hashtag on social media to empower themselves. 
lives. Yeah. So that's why I always just hold people accountable because I'm like, shoot, you got enough power to get you to uh, get that paycheck. It's something you're doing. Mm-hmm. Paycheck power, PP. But not the PP. The PP power. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so that's something I always challenge people to to internalize because saying that you don't have powers also like you know as black folk, mm-hmm. you know, five centuries of being oppressed, terrorized, controlled in every literally every part of our lives. Yeah. These are the days of our lives. We're still told to self-reflect on how we can control our future. You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. motivational speakers love talking to Black folk, right? So if we can do that to Black people all the time, all around the world, yeah. despite us being terrorized and controlled, if we can do that to Black folk, then we need to understand how we need to do that to people in different occupations that control people's lives as well. Very true. Good stuff. 